into the hands of every individual is given a power for good or evil. To be different, you must think, feel, and act differently. Focus on your purpose, transcend boundaries, impact the world. Alter from death to life. All right, good morning. Good to see you all. How'd you like your new, new seating arrangements? Did you have trouble finding your seat? Some people are like looking in around going like, it's set up different. Where is my chair? All right, well, the change is probably good for you. You know, whenever you uh, do a message and you're walking in the Spirit of God, you have to be sensitive to what he wants to say. And sometimes he will add something in or change something that you had planned. And today I was actually sitting in the first service during worship and God just put a scripture on my heart that I want to share with you because I think it's so relevant to, to always be in step with what he's doing. You know, we get agendas in our life. We get kind of plans in our, in our life, and that's a good thing. But you also have to be sensitive when the Spirit of God says, I want you to shift that a little bit because I want to do something that you wouldn't have done, you wouldn't have seen coming without that. So uh, God just led me to this passage in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1, and I want to just uh, take a little a moment here to explain this, and I think it fits in really, really well, because today we're going to talk about your mind or the brain and, and how that, the role that plays in your spiritual walk. But it says here, Paul's writing, and he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, it's an interesting thing that he says. He, he talks to this church at Galatia, and he said, right now you're acting foolish. And what's happened is you have become bewitched. That is, someone has cast a spell over you, and you're not thinking correctly. And it's almost as if they're in a passive situation to where, am I passive in this? Did I do this? Did I act on this? But they're under a spell, and Paul refers to it as being bewitched. And he says that you should not obey the truth. So whenever we do not obey the truth of God, the Bible says we're under a spell. We're being bewitched. And he says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. And so he's saying some of you were actually alive when Christ was crucified. You were at the cross. You saw it unfold. And now all of a sudden, even with that experience, you have fallen under this spell and you've been become bewitched to where you're not obeying the truth. And it says, this only one thing I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? In other words, when the Holy Spirit came on you at conversion, when the Holy Spirit brought fullness on you and baptized you, did you receive that by doing things, by keeping the law, or did you receive that by faith? How did you come to faith? You came by faith. And so now, once you're in the faith, now you're falling back into being justified by what you do. And you think your life is in, in, in right order because you're doing the right things. And he said, no, you're not walking in the Spirit, and when you're not walking in the Spirit, 
You're fulfilling the desires of the flesh, and you're disobeying the truth of God. He said, are you so foolish, verse 3, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? So in other words, you get in the Christian life, and then six months, a year down the road, you start living your life as though it was all about what you do. Well, I go to church, I read my Bible, I do this and do that, and you think that brings about truth in your life. But in fact, you can be under the spell, be bewitched by the evil one into believing that your life is okay because you're a pretty good person. Hey, there's a lot of really good people in the world that do not know God. And you as a Christian are in an even even more difficult situation because you're fighting against what's trying to conform you. And so you have to experience a transformation of the mind. When we begin to talk about uh, the brain, uh, neuropsychology uh, believes that you can reprogram your mind in four days. In other words, when you begin to change the way that you think and the way that you live your life, you can literally create new ways of thinking and reprogram your mind. Now, I'm going to put this number on the board because it's a little bit uh, interesting, but this is how much of your brain that you actually use. Now, you've heard people say, well, I think we use about 20% of our brain. Well, new, new findings find that, no, it's not even 1%. We are using so little of our brain, it's amazing. According to Dr. Caroline Leaf, she said, uh, we can think properly, and if we are, we can use up to 6 to 8% of our brain. Now, think about that. If I'm, only, if I'm in the best category, I'm using 6% of my brain. That means I got 94% of my brain sitting on the bench, looking around going, well, I don't know what we're doing here. We're just kind of occupying space right now, but we're really not getting utilized. What would happen if we would move from that 1, 2, 3, or 4 into 6 or 8%, and Caroline Leaf said, in some cases, a person can use about 10% of their brain. Now, let's put it in perspective. A single cell can grow up to about 70,000 branches. So you've got one brain cell. It can grow 70,000 branches, and the average person has 100 million nerve cells. Are you getting, are you getting what I'm saying here? Three million years of storage space you carry on your shoulders. Three million years. Now, people will say when they get older, they say, well, you know, I, I, I just don't have the memory I used to have. I don't think as well or whatever. But scientists tell us the only organ in your body that actually keeps growing and can expand is your mind. So the very one that you have the opportunity to do something with, you neglect. And you say, well, I just don't have the memory I used to have. No, you're not using the memory. You're falling back into this percentage or lower because you say, well, I'm older. I don't know what to do. Interesting findings, we'll see that where sometimes a, an older person will die and then their spouse will die within a year or later. We've all seen that phenomena, right? And we think, well, it was just grieving, the loss, and all of that. And actually, scientists say that's actually not what's happening. What's actually happening over a lifetime, whether you're married 10 years or 50 years, is that you have what's called shared memory. And what that means is one spouse will memorize certain things, the other spouse will remember other things, and so when one dies, they're disoriented because literally half of their memory's gone because they had shared memory. 
And so it takes about a year to get out of that disorientation, and if you don't get out of it well enough, the brain shuts down and says, I cannot function anymore, let's die. Interesting, isn't it? Now think about, you've got 94% roughly of your brain sitting on the bench, not being utilized. What would happen if you would begin to renew your mind, begin to see things and operate from a kingdom perspective? Let's put it a little bit more perspective here. To put this in perspective, one nerve cell that is 70,000 branches can store all the information you will learn from the time you're born until the time you graduate from high school. One, I was talking to some students the other day, and, then, and uh, he was a college student, and I said, how you doing? He goes, oh, I'm just so stressed out, and I've got final exams. And I said, this is the easiest time in your life. He looked at me like he was offended. I said, I'm serious. My advice to you is stay in school as long as you can. Go to grad school. Get a PhD. Then go get another one. Stay in. Because when you get out, you're going to have to get a J-O-B. And if you think this is tough, wait till you get one of those things. Amen? All right. So think about that information. Now, uh, if we begin to operate, we understand something else about this, and that is that the way your brain works, let's just say this is a positive, this is a negative. I want you to think about a multi-pattied hamburger. You got it? Okay. Positive negative. We think our brain works like this. That is, I've got a negative thought, positive thought. I just kind of stack them on top of each other. But actually, brain science has found out something really interesting, and that is the positive memories cannot be built upon the negative ones. So what you really have is you really have two verticals going on in your mind. One's positive and one's negative. The problem is the negative patterns are so strong because the neural pathways in your mind that they will always dominate the positive ones. That's why people tend to be more negative than they tend to be positive. Now, think about this. When you, if your mind, you have a conscious mind, I'm going to draw these like filing cabinets. Does those look like filing cabinets? Kind of, okay. Let's do, let's do this as conscious. And here's another one. I'm not going to do it in 3D because that's really bad. Okay, this is subconscious. Okay, got it? All right. So what happens is, uh, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. Oh, oh, this is good news. The Bible says you can get angry. Right? But it puts a caveat on it, but sin not. Oh, you mean, oh, then I know my anger is righteous anger. Your anger, of course, was unrighteous anger, Right? But what's interesting is it says be angry because there are times when you need to be angry about certain things, but you cannot sin in the process and keep your sanity because here's what happens. The next part of that verse says, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So in other words, don't go to sleep angry. Now, that was written 2,000 years ago, but science has caught up with that and tells, and tells us something about it. You actually have what we could kind of in picture say there's two filing cabinets in your brain. One's conscious, one's subconscious. So what happens in your conscious mind, I'm angry and I'm sinning. And I decide I'm not going to get that out of my brain. I'm going to go to sleep. And so when I sleep, it then gets filed in my subconscious mind. 
Now, what happens over time is I keep stuffing that, that filing cabinet fuller and fuller with stuff. And guess what happens? The file clerk pulls it out at exactly the wrong moment and uses old material and brings up an old fight, an old argument, an old problem. And the other person looks and goes, where did that come from? Oh, the file clerk pulled it out. It was in the file, in the subconscious, because I went to sleep without resolving it. Now, does it make sense? But at the same time, what we do is we have to realize we want to constantly be building this vertical here of positive thoughts. Because remember, these tend to be outweighing, in terms of their influence in our life, the negative ones tend to outweigh the positive ones in our life, so we really can't do the very things we want to do. So what do we do? Well, we have to understand that we have to eradicate negative thinking in our mind, that is, in our conscious and our subconscious mind. So you say, well, I don't even know what's in my file until the wrong time. And then all of a sudden it comes out, and I just kind of puke it all out. I go, where did that come from? It came from your subconscious mind. So here's why the Bible says, and God revealed to me unknown sins. See, there's stuff in your mind, you don't even know it's in your mind, that's affecting your behavior and making everybody's life around you miserable. So what you want to do is you want to go, part of your prayer needs to be, God, everything that I know is in my conscious mind, I want to get it cleaned up. God, I want to clean up the subconscious mind. Would you show me anything I need to get clean? And God, if I, and, and even just a blanket prayer at the end, God, and just cleanse me from everything that I don't even know I'm aware of or bring to my, my knowledge everything that I need to be aware of in my life so that I can function better. You will be a lot happier and everybody around you will be a lot happier. Amen? All right, so let's, uh, let's look at it like this. How do I eradicate? Well, we have to replace them, and I replace them through a process of forgiveness, repentance, and a conscious letting go. You see, some things in your life you don't want to let go of. They're like a pet. You just get, you know, pets really are not good for anything, if you really stop and think about it, right? They're a digestive uh, apparatus, they show up, they eat, and you have to pick up the difference. But we like them, right? They come running in, and if there's a dog, you know, is wagging his tail, happy to see me, you know, he wants a treat. He ain't happy to see you. He wants a treat. He knows you are the treat giver. And so he just coming in, wagging his tail, you know, looking at you all happy and everything. You pet, what do you do? You pet the dog. Oh, the dog says, oh, yeah, rolls over, scratch my belly. Right? Well, that's what you do with your thoughts. Your thoughts always want to be fed, but then you have to pick up the mess. Oh, your, thets, your, your pets are, your pet thoughts are, they're really nice, aren't they? Because they're always happy to see you. Hey, remember me? Remember me? I'm the one. I, I'm the thought that you thought you forgot about. Remember that person that offended you? I'm here. Let me roll over. You scratch my belly. Oh, it's going to feel so good. Feed me a little bit more. Feed me a little bit more. And then all you get at the end is a poop. Well, you won't forget at least that illustration. Amen? All right, so let's, let's jump into this. The battle that you fight is in your mind. It's in your mind. Most of what you're going to fight in life is not going to be outside. It's going to be right here. You're going to have victory here. And here's what happens is we tend to go from order to disorder. 
And so we start like this, and we start spiraling downward, and we look at life, and we say, well, everything was kind of going good, and you had a decision to make here, and you didn't make a good decision. And you kept spiraling out, and you had a decision to make here, and you didn't make a good decision. And you kept spiraling out of control, and you got down here to the bottom, and you go, how did I get in this mess? Just the other day, I was, everything was fine. My life was in order. But you see, when you start a downward spiral, it speeds up in its velocity. So sin starts slow. Bad decisions start slow, but they tend to, to, to pick up speed as you move down this, this uh, line of disorder. So what we want to do is we want to stop and say, wait a minute, let me make a good decision now. Sometimes people get down here and they go, you know, I've already blown it. What difference does it make? I mean, how much worse can it get? Can I tell you? A lot worse. A lot worse. You say, well, life isn't that great right now. It can be worse. It can absolutely, completely be worse. But good news is you can reverse that. You can get back on top of order and put disorder behind you. So let's go to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And here's what uh, Paul writes. He says, I beseech you. In other words, he's begging you. He says, I beseech you by the mercies of God. If I can't appeal to you on any level, can I appeal to you on the level of God's mercy? I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. God, here I am. I, I want to sacrifice my life for the kingdom, that you should be holy and acceptable to God. So when you come to God, you say, God, I want to come to you holy. I want to come to you clean. God, I want you to, to just accept me. And it says, which is your reasonable servant? Isn't it reasonable to present yourself to God a living sacrifice holy? Isn't that reasonable for a God who loves you? And, and that's how he's, the appeal is. And then it says, do not be conformed to this world. Now, what that means is not sometimes the things we think it is. It's not like the dress people wear, you know, whether you wear a, 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 this dress, that dress, these pants, that pants. It's a mindset that says, this world says, I can do this without God. I really don't need God. If I do, it'll only be in a big crisis. That's a mindset of the world. He says, don't let this world conform you into its image, but be transformed, and this is the word metamorphosis in the Greek. That means be a whole new being, be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. So your mind needs to be renewed. Now, antiques are good if they're furniture, but not if they're your brain. So I got an old brain. No, you don't. You have a brain that is not functioning at its capacity because you've chosen to believe a lie from the world that your brain's not going to get any better. Your mind can be active and fired up. I watched, uh, this was just the 75th anniversary of the invasion of, of Normandy uh, during World War II, and they, they interviewed a man after he had jumped from a parachute. He had dropped from, the, uh, from a plane in 1944 at the landing of Normandy, and he came back, and for the last seven years, he's jumped from the plane as a reenactment every year. He's 97 years old. They interviewed him. He said, yeah, I'll be back next year. He's 97. What are you doing at 97? You're buying a, a recliner. I got a recliner with a cup holder, a little massager in my rear end. I'm, oh, this is so good. No, what you're doing is killing yourself. 
You're killing yourself. Because remember, the speech center of your brain is connected to your nervous system. And so when you say, I'm old, I don't think as well, I don't feel good, your nerves go, okay, we can take care of that. And it sends a signal through your whole body. This guy says, hey, I'm 97, I'm jumping next year. Who jumps out of a plane at 97? Right? The guy whose mind thinks differently because he understands something about who he is. When you understand who you are in Christ, you understand that God has built you a quality piece of equipment right here that you can function well in life, in every aspect of your life, you're gonna go to new level altogether. And he says then, renew your mind that you might prove what is good and acceptable and perfect in the will of God. How do you know the will of God? Renewed mind. Some of you wanna know God's direction for your life, you can't know it without a renewed mind. You're gonna try this, try that, try this, try that, fail at this, fail at that, try this, try that. No, God says, I can tell you everything you need to know if you'll just let me direct you. So your mind is the gatekeeper of the supernatural. Now think about that. Your mind is the gatekeeper of the supernatural. We have five senses, right? They're like gates in our life. So I've got an eye gate and it opens up and I look and I can see things. I've got an ear gate, it opens up, I can hear things. I got five senses. But really, your mind is the gatekeeper of the supernatural. You don't have complete control over what you see. You don't have complete control over what you hear. But if your mind is renewed, then it becomes your gatekeeper, and it's going, wait a minute, don't, don't look at that. Wait a minute, don't listen to that. Don't think those thoughts. Let me transform you into understanding what the perfect will of God is in your life. Because what happens is you're either going to give allegiance through what you hear and see and do to either God or to Satan. Remember the Galatians? Who has bewitched you? So I can give allegiance to God, and when I give allegiance to God, guess what? I empower God in my life. When I give allegiance to the enemy, I empower the enemy in my life. So both are empowered by your mind coming into an agreement. Who are you in agreement with? Who are you in agreement with? If you come in agreement with God, he will empower you and he will give you authority. If you come in agreement with the enemy, guess what? He's gonna empower you as well and it's gonna have the same effect in your life. You see, so the mind must be renewed every day. This is not like, a, like your car. I'm gonna get my car washed once a week or once a month, whatever you do. No, you have to renew your mind every day. And, and what your mind does when it's tuned into God, it reflects the reality of another world, the kingdom. So now you begin to see things differently altogether. And then when you begin to see things different, you can prove the will of God in your life. You know what the word prove means? It means to be tested. God will test the things in your life so that you know what's really important and what, and what works. Oh, that doesn't work. Why? Because it's untested. It's unproven. God wants you to prove the will of God in your life. So how do I get there? Well, repentance restores God's perspective on reality. Restores. Now look what it says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now what does that mean? That means I can't see the kingdom of God unless I repent. You say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I don't think I need to repent. Well, maybe you got a couple of things to work on. 
And what, what repenting from is repenting from a way of thinking that allows me to think like the world versus to think like God. I want to give you a new kind of way of thinking about repentance. I want to take the word re, and I want to take the word pent, and I want to kind of break that up for you. So the idea is re means to go back, and pent is like a penthouse, the top floor of a building. Repent means then to go back to God's perspective on reality. A few years ago, we were uh, up in a penthouse in a, in a major city, and uh, we're on that top floor, and we're looking around, and you can see all over the city, it was like 60%, 70% glass, this, this penthouse was. And when you get up there, you look around, and you go, wow, this is amazing. Everything looks like it's working. Take the elevator, you go down to the first floor, there's people honking their horns, people are shoving, people are angry, all these kind of things, because you see, that is living under the influence of the world. So what God wants you to do is get in the penthouse of the kingdom and begin to see things from his perspective. It doesn't mean you lose track of reality. It means that what's guiding you is a divine perspective versus an earthly perspective. So now when you see someone angry, someone shoving, you go, you know what, I could totally see this person come to faith in Christ. Wow, what a difference God would make in their life. Then instead of reacting like the world and getting angry, what you do is you react like God in love. Hey, that's a new thing, right? And you begin to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth in those people's lives. So what happens is when I get this renewed mind, I restore, now watch this, I restore a sense of purpose in my life. You ever ask this question, why do I exist, right? I mean, don't we all want to know that? It doesn't matter if we just have this much purpose. We want to know that we count for something on planet earth, amen? Everybody here wants to know that. If I can just know I'm making a little contribution in someone's life, I feel good. That's why people give to all kinds of things, benevolent organizations and, and homeless and, and everything else, because I just want to make a difference. I want the world to be better because of me. And one of the first steps in that is to bring your mind back to understand. And guess what? When you do that, it brings health to your body, soul, and spirit. You feel better. Two Psalms I want you to read, Psalm 51, Psalm 32. They both go together. Psalm 51 is David talking about his sin and the effect it had on his life. Psalm 32 is when he's forgiven. And he says, when I'm not forgiven, when I'm living you know, with an unrenewed mind, to kind of put it in perspective, then you know, no music really sounded good. My bones ached. Oh, but once he felt the forgiveness and the joy of God, the renewed mind, guess what? He said, now, now every song sounds great. My, my physically, I'm better off. Doctors say 70% of the illnesses of mankind today in America are caused by this. You think yourself sick. What would happen if you start thinking yourself well? People say, how are you doing? You go, oh, I'm just, I don't know. Do I want to talk to you? How about this one? You know what? I got a couple of challenges, but I know God's coming through. I'm not living in some false reality. I'm just telling you, hey, I got a few challenges. If you could pray for me, that'd be great. But I am not going to let those things get the best of me. Amen. I'm going to rise above that, amen? I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to think right so that I can be right. And guess what? When you begin to renew your mind, it creates a hunger for kingdom activity. You begin to say, I want to see God work. Then uh, Christianity doesn't become about going to church. 
If all Christianity was going to church, it'd be the most boring thing in my life. No, but when I see changed lives, when I see the kingdom of God come and enter in to what we're doing, I'm going, wow, this is what it's all about. People come to faith in Christ. Uh, lives are restored. People are healed. There's all these cool things that are happening. And then we begin to understand what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 10. Let's look at it, verses 7 and 8. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. How will I know that? Well, he said, you're going to heal the sick. When you see sick people healed, that's evidence of the kingdom. How about cleanse the leper? That's evidence of the kingdom. How about raise the dead? There's a challenge. How about cast out demons? How about freely whatever you give, you give it up to somebody else? Do you know that all you do is that last piece you're going to be winning? What has God given you? Give that away freely. God's given me love. Give that away freely. God gave me hope. Give that away freely. Give it away. Give it away. Give it away. That's part of the kingdom of God. Amen? part of the kingdom of God. So let me give you an illustration right here in the house. So about a month ago, and I've told some of you this story, uh, we had a a couple who brought their um, their grandparents, and they speak only Spanish, understand only Spanish, and in the end, they came out and they said, we understood everything that he was saying, even though he was speaking in English, we understood it in Spanish. I thought that was really cool. I turned to another couple, thought they were Spanish, turned out they were Egyptian, and, uh, and And anyway, in this course of this conversation, uh, he said, that's why we come here, because my wife only understands Egyptian, and but when you speak, she understands it in English. And I'm thinking, this is kind of cool. And then last Sunday night, we had a couple here from uh, Buenos Aires, Argentina, and they don't understand English, but they wanted to come and be a part of the worship night we had. And afterwards, they came up to me, and they said, you know, we don't, and I could tell their English was not very good, but they said, you know, when you speak, I hear it in Spanish. Now, if it only happens once, I think it's a fluke. If, I, if it happens twice, it's pretty cool. If it happens three times, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> Amen? C.K. Chesterton said the first time he saw an elephant, he thought it was the oddest thing he ever saw. Then he saw a herd, and he knew it was a conspiracy. So when, when God begins to do things and he multiplies layers of the miraculous in your presence or in your hearing, even if it's not in your life, but you hear about it, and, and it's coming from a credible source, you go, this is the kingdom of heaven. It's shown up here. This is not church. This is a kingdom. We want to. We want to. We love the church. We believe in the church. But we also want to understand that the kingdom is bigger than the church. Now, some people say, "Well, you know, I don't really think I need church, really." Well, then Jesus was a liar, because Jesus died to establish the church. It's his bride. If you're not a part of the bride, then you're a mistress. I don't need church to to worship God. Yes, you do, according to the Bible. I'm just quoting Bible. Just read Ephesians. Read Ephesians 4. That's all you do. Read Ephesians 4, and you go, wait, this church is a body, the bride of Christ. I am the head of the body. Now, some brides don't look as good as other brides. I'm talking in the church. All brides on their wedding day are beautiful. Amen? Why are you laughing? I like you already. All right, now. But you see, sometimes the bride gets a little battered, gets a little shaken. Still the bride. Still the bride, amen? Still the bride. So let's go on. Authority and power come from a renewed mind. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, he said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Here's the promise of Jesus. You want the keys of the kingdom? Here are the keys of the kingdom. Did you notice they're plural, not singular? The kingdom has multiple keys, 
The first key is the kingdom of sal- is the key of salvation. I open the door, I come into the door of salvation into the kingdom. And then I go, what are these other keys for? Oh, you just wait. Those keys are going to open some other doors for you. I'm going to open up all kinds of doors for you. He says, I'm going to give you the king of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Oh, you mean that these keys, there's another door I go through, I can bind on earth something, and it'll seal it in heaven. Yes, that's exactly what it says. And read on what it says. And whatever you loosen on earth will be loosed in heaven. So I can free things up on earth, and I can bind things up on earth that will be bound in heaven. So the more that we agree with heaven, the more of heaven you see. I'm just going to agree with heaven. Well, you say, but it doesn't look like it. It doesn't matter. Just agree. Because you empower that which you agree with. You ever had somebody tell you something stupid and you agreed with them? Then they told you another thing stupid. Because you agreed with them. You empowered them. See, you empower the lie that you believe. Or you empower the truth that you believe. But you empower it. What you bind, you also have to replace with something else. You can't just bind something and not replace it. Something's got to go out of the picture. Okay, let me give you an example. If you bind a spirit of poverty, that is a spirit that steals and impoverishes. Okay, now what is a spirit of, of a poverty? A spirit of poverty says, I'm worthless. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to have success in my life. I'm never going to thrive. And you start to bind that in your life by saying it because you're empowering it. You're giving it authority, right? You're speaking into it. So you start to empower that in your life. And so now you're living this life, and you can see whole generations do this. You see where the parents just say, hey, we're nothing. We just, we're never going to amount to anything. And then the kid hears it, and they start living that same, that same lie. They just live it. And that's why you see generations sometimes of poverty in people's lives. On the other hand, you can see generations of poverty of abundance in other people's lives. What happened? Parents were empowering abundance in their lives. We're going, you know what? If you, if you fail today, don't worry about it. You'll succeed tomorrow. Like the story, I forgot my son told me this story. He, he came home with a bunch of C's and I think a D. And uh, he was scared to hand me the report card. I looked at it and I said, can you do better? He said, yep. I said, okay. Slapped him on the butt. I said, now go, now go rule the world. That's a spirit of abundance. I could have said, I can't believe you got C's. What kind of dummy are you? I'm going to pull you out of school. That's a spirit of poverty. What are you empowering in your family? What are you empowering in your life? John chapter 3, verse 12, Jesus said, If I've told you earthly things you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Jesus said, I'm going to speak on a very practical level here. If you don't believe this kind of stuff that you can relate to on planet Earth, how are you going to relate if I tell you stuff of heaven? Because that's where I want you to think. That's where I want you to operate from. Jesus wants to reveal his kingdom rule, and guess how? Through us, through you, through you, through you, through you, through you. I love this scripture in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 7. It says, of the increase of government and peace, there will be no end. You know how that's true? You know how that's possible? Because he increases peace and he increases the rule of his government through you. Everywhere you go, you become a resource of peace. You become a resource of the kingdom. People in county go, wow, Jesus just got bigger in this world. More influence in this world because you 
renewed your mind. Amen? Let's stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, as we pray, we, uh, we pray in your name that we might be set free, that we might renew our mind, that we might be cleansed, that we might carry out the authority that you have for us in Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord God, for your power, your might to come, and your will to be done in everything we do. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, now here's what I want you to do as they're clearing the stage and we're preparing to sing this last song. At my house and at your house, we have trash day. Everybody relate to this? Doesn't it feel like trash day comes every three days? I'm hauling out three big trash containers every day, every week. I'm so tired of hauling out trash. I go, I can't believe it's trash day, trash day, trash day. Well, what would happen if I'd stop? Well, the can would get full, right? I'd be taking bags, packing them up, taking them up here to the church, dropping them off the dumpster. I'd be doing something. What happens when you don't renew your mind? It's like keeping the trash cans there, and then you're trying to figure out what to, where to store the bags of extra stuff you have, and the only place you can find is somebody else. So as we sing, I want you to renew your mind. I want you just to start, just repent, renew, repent, Remember, repent, I'm going to get a new perspective on life, and I'm going to renew my mind, all right? And as we sing, just sing those words out. As we're singing these songs, you're singing with them. You're just going to sing out, God, I just want to repent. I want to renew. Repent, renew. Repent, renew. Amen? I want to have the mind of Christ. How many of you want the mind of Christ? Amen? Amen. Put your hands together. I want the mind of Christ. Need, I need that in my life. Need that direct to me. Let's sing this now, How He Loves Me.